This is the final part of our series on Jonah. Thank you very much, Sandra, for reading that to us. Does anybody here like reading? Just give me a show of hands if you like reading. Okay. I like reading. I seem to have always loved reading from the time I was very little. I have to confess, though, that I'm old-fashioned. I like books. I like paper. I like the feel and the smell of them. I've got a tablet, but I don't tend to use that for reading. I love our libraries, and uh, from, from boyhood, I've gone to the library. I still go to the library. I love going in there, and uh, I just love looking at the books and seeing what's around and that kind of thing. I'm, so many people here like reading as well, but there's one person actually who stands out in my mind uh, when it comes to reading, and the reason is this, that no matter what book you give them, and over the years I've seen them being given many books, They always, always, invariably, within a few minutes, they turn to the back of the book. They like to read the ending first. And I've said to them, why do you do that? Why do you like to read the ending first? And they said, oh, I I don't like surprises. I like to find out how it all ends. The thing about the story of Jonah that we've just heard that strikes me anyway, I don't know if it strikes you, but as I've been reading it, it's really struck me that I don't really know how it ends. I almost feel there should be a chapter 5. How does Jonah respond to, to what God does with him? We know about Jonah's commission to go to Nineveh. We know how he fled. We know about the storm. We know he's thrown overboard and the great fish swallows him. We know he's delivered from the fish. We know he's called to go to Nineveh again. We know the Ninevites repent. We know that Jonah's anger about God's failure to punish the Ninevites. We know about the booth and the vine and the worm and the conversation with God. But we don't really know how it ends, it strikes me. In a story, I guess, we like to know how it ends. It's like these murder mysteries, isn't it? Whether it's Poirot or something that Agatha Christie has written. You know, we want to know who done it. We want to know, we want to see all the strands together with a kind of holistic ending. But we don't see it here, it strikes me. And actually, Jesus used a similar method when he told the parable of the prodigal son. So in this parable of the prodigal son, the younger son goes off with his share of the inheritance, wastes it all, comes to his senses eventually because he gets in dire straits, decides to repent, come back to his father. They throw a party for him, but the older brother doesn't go in. He is angry, a bit like Jonah. And he refuses to come into the party. So again, like Jonah, the father goes out to reason with the older brother. And Jesus leaves the story hanging. He doesn't actually tell us how the the older brother finally responded. We don't know how Jonah finally responded. We don't know how the older brother and the parable of the prodigal son actually responded in the end. And the question I ask myself is this, why? Why has the Lord decided to do it that way? I think the answer is this. I think that what it is, it's designed to be like a mirror for you and me. We don't know how Jonah finally responded. We don't know how the older brother finally responded. And it's like a mirror being held up to you and me. What are you like? What am I like? How are you going to respond with what God is doing in your life? How are you going to respond to the different circumstances in your life? How are you going to respond? How am I going to respond when things perhaps don't turn out the way I think they should? 
Because that's certainly the case with Jonah, and it's certainly the case with the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. Jonah wanted this heathen nation punished. They were not working out as he'd hoped it should do, as he thought it should do. The older brother and the parable, things were not working out the way that he thought they should. I have to say as well, I've seen it in Christians too. I've seen disillusionment. Because God has not worked in a way that we think he should. God has not answered my prayers in a way that I think he should. I've seen anger with God because of those things. I've seen bitterness. If God loves me, as we sing about this morning, as we believe and we proclaim, if he loves me, then why is this happening? Why am I going through this? If God is love, then why are we in such a mess? What's gone wrong? Doesn't he care? And here we see, as I read the story of Jonah, I find there are two realities going on here. There's the reality of Jonah's reaction, and there's the reality of God's. And I want to look at them both briefly, and then I want to look at maybe our reaction as well. So I want to look at Jonah's reaction, God's reaction, and our reaction. So Jonah, as we've seen in the reading, he gets angry. In fact, he gets very angry. And then from being very angry, then we see that Jonah becomes, in verse 6, very happy. So from being very angry at one point in the account, he becomes very happy very quickly. His emotions change very quickly. His feelings go up and down. His feelings are very much influenced by his circumstances. Does that sound familiar to you? Sounds familiar to me. I find that often my feelings are very affected by the circumstances of my life. In fact, recently in the last week or so, Joy and I have both been had the lurgy. You know, there's a lot of it around, you know, all the symptoms. You get a headache, you get feverish, you get fatigue, uh, you, all that kind of stuff. You're consigned to quarters and all that kind of thing. And it affects your emotions. Um, if we review for a moment, we see that Jonah has been given an amazingly significant role by the Lord. He's been given a powerful prophetic message. But he doesn't want to give it, so he runs away. There's a life-threatening storm. He's thrown into the sea. Huge fish swallows him. God delivers him, recommissions him. And then he sees a response to his message. But he's angry. However... At least, we can say this in Jonah's favor, he expresses his anger to God. Verse 2, it says, he prayed to the Lord. I guess we all get angry from time to time. I wonder what it is that makes you angry. Sometimes we can get angry with God. And this is the difference here. Jonah is angry with God. He's not simply angry about the circumstances of life. He's angry with God. I wonder if you ever get angry with God. Or critical. Or questioning. Why did you allow that to happen? Philip Yancey wrote a book called Disappointment with God. One of the chapters in the book is, Is God Unfair? Here, in this account, Jonah certainly seems to think so. You know, I guess we all have questions. We're all puzzled from time to time about things that happen in our life and to members of our family, and, and we don't understand often why things are happening the way they are, especially if we're praying about things. We're praying for, generally, as we did this morning, we prayed for our nation. 
We prayed that things would improve. We prayed that there would be a sense of righteousness coming into the nation. And we may have personal prayers that we have been praying for some time, perhaps for members of our family, perhaps for health situations. And we haven't seen an improvement. And we're asking, well, why not? You know, God is love, we're told. You love me. I believe that. So why is there no improvement here? Why has that person that I have been praying for for so long not responded to the gospel? I've been praying for a long time. In fact, not only have I been praying, I've been fasting. And I still haven't seen the results. And we can have these questions. We can be puzzled about things. Certainly, we see anger here. We see disappointment. We see questions expressed throughout the Bible. I don't think God has much of a problem at times with our questions. In fact, in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2, Habakkuk says this, How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. I cry out to you, violence but you do not save. So I don't think God has a problem with our questions. And of course, we, Jesus' words from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, if Jesus can ask a why question, we certainly can too, I'm sure. Many things may trigger our anger. Unanswered prayer might be one. Our disappointments, illness, job loss, divorce, loss of a loved one, and so on. But God can handle our anger, our frustration, our disappointment. You may well have read a book uh, called A Grace Disguised, written by a, a man called Jerry Sitzer, who was driving out one night with his mother, his daughter, his wife in the car, drunken driver, I think it was, swerved into the other side of the road, smashed the car, his mother was killed, his wife was killed, his daughter was killed in one fell swoop. He wrote about it, and one of the things he said was this. I see now that my faith was becoming an ally rather than an enemy because I could vent anger freely even toward God without fearing retribution. I think that the Lord appreciates our honesty. Rather than us just glossing over what we're going through as if it doesn't matter, to be very honest with him about what is really going in our heart, on in our heart, I think is a good thing to do. However, one of the problems with jo- Jonah's anger was this. It took him away from the blessing that's going on in the city. You know, when you think about it, there was a huge revival going on in the city of Nineveh. 120,000 people who turned away from their sin, from the lowliest person to the king. They turned away from that. God had relented on punishing them for their evil ways. So, and again, Jesus said, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. So here there's 120,000. But Jonah has decided in his anger to isolate himself. He moves out of the city. He's on his own as if it doesn't have anything to do with him. Very sad, very tragic. It's a huge danger That when we get disillusioned, that when we get disheartened, that when we get angry, that we begin to isolate ourselves from the body of the church. And that, in my opinion, is a very dangerous place to be. You know, even this morning, you can be sitting here, you can be listening attentively, hopefully, but be isolated in your heart. You can be distant. You can be angry. You can be angry with someone. You can be angry with some situation. 
And you can feel distant because of those things. You can feel indifferent. You can be cold even. However, you're still in a good place in the sense of you're here with God's people together today. And it's a great place to be encouraged and strengthened. See, our faith is not simply there when things are going well. But when things are not going so well. Things that we don't understand. See, Jonah... He had at one time, he had a tangible sense of God's blessing. In the heat of the sun, God provided a vine for him. God provided a mercy for him in his troubled situation, in his undeserving situation. God still provided this vine to give him shade. And he was happy because of that. There was a blessing that God had given him. And then God decided to take it away. And then he got very angry again. And sometimes... You know, we perceive God's love based on whether our situation is favorable or not so favorable. However, the foundation of our faith is stronger than that. The foundation of your faith is stronger than whether your circumstances are good or not so good. You know, life is like a railway line, isn't it, really? It's like a railway track that runs in parallel. And on one track, it strikes me that There is a track of where things seem to be going well. I've got a good job. I've got a good salary. The family are doing okay. I've got some respect. I'm quite happy in the things I'm doing. I've got some time for leisure. I can go on holiday from time to time. I'm a blessing. I'm able to give to the work of the kingdom. You know, there's there's that track that we go along. Yes, it's going well. But life has got more than one track. It's got two tracks. On the other track, there are difficulties. Maybe there is illness to face. Maybe there are financial difficulties to face. And so as we journey along in the train of life, as it were, there are these two tracks that we have to go across. We have to go along both of them. I found in my experience, it would be fantastic, would it not, if there were never any problems in life, if everything was plain sailing, if every prayer that we answered, actually it might not be such a good thing, but we think it is, if every prayer that we asked was answered instantly, before you call, in fact, I will answer. Sometimes that does happen, that's true. But actually the reality of life is it's two tracks very often. And sometimes it feels as if the track where there are difficulties is more dominant than the other one. But actually, your faith is not based on whether the tracks are good or not. Our faith and our trust is based on the absolute, unyielding kindness and goodness of God. And we see that where ultimately? Well, we see it obviously with Jesus when he comes and he dies on the cross. Jonah has a negative reaction. When apparent blessing comes into his life, he's very happy. But when that goes, he is very angry. His feelings go up and down. But what is incredible in this account as well is God's reaction. John talked a bit about that last week. And as I've been thinking about this and reading about that, I've been thinking about God's reaction here in this whole account of Jonah. I don't know if you have ever dealt with a stubborn child. Have you ever had to deal with a stubborn child? Maybe a parent. Or maybe you've seen parents trying to deal with stubborn children. I don't know. Little children I'm thinking of. Toddlers. You know, the terrible twos, or whatever they call it, or the tantrumy threes. Something's happened anyway. Just picture this. And so the child goes into an angry, petulant sulk. Maybe they've had to stop watching TV as it's bedtime, and it's their favorite program, and you switch it off because you've said to them two or three times, it's bedtime now, time to get your pajamas on, etc., etc. They take no notice, so in the end you just switch the TV off. 
and you get a response of anger and petulance. I don't know. Maybe you've never had that experience. I don't know. Or, you know, they have to get dressed. They're old enough now, okay? You have tended to get them dressed, but now they're old enough now, and you tell them it's time for you to get dressed. You dress yourself. They don't want to do it. They're angry. They, they go into a sulk or whatever it might be, or they can't go into the toy shop. They can't have that bag of sweets. Whatever it might be, they become angry and uncooperative. Seems to me Jonah's a bit like that. And here we see God is like the gentle, kind, yet unyielding parent. See, when I was thinking about this, I had a picture of a child sitting on the steps in the house. So the child sitting there with a petulant expression on their face. They're angry. They're not going to do what you want them to do. And then the parent comes. And the parent comes and sits beside the child. And the parent puts their arm around the child. The parent is unyielding. The child is going to go to bed. Right? The child is going to go up those stairs. Come up, mate. That's going to be the end result here. That child is going to bed. But the way the parent deals with it, and I'm sure many of you sitting here have dealt with it in this manner. Get up there fast or there'll be trouble. So here, the parent puts their arm around the child and gently talks to the child and coaxes the child. The trouble is here, we don't know how Jonah finally responds. But we see something of what God is like as he gets alongside Jonah and he reasons with him. And as I thought about that picture of the child sitting on the steps, I've realized this, the child is me. And God says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as wool. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool, white as snow rather. And in the book of James, he says this, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason. In other versions, it says, easy to be entreated. So this is God's amazing, I think, reaction to Jonah here. He begins to reason, to seek to reason with Jonah about what Jonah's feeling and thinking. And boy, don't we see a lot with Jesus too. Jesus frequently answering questions. Should we pay tax to Caesar? What should I do to inherit eternal life? What's the greatest commandment? Who is my neighbor anyway? We see Jesus engaging in dialogue with people. We see him engaging in dialogue with John the Baptist. Surely you should be baptizing me. And Jesus responds. Or Nicodemus comes and says, how can can somebody be born again? Can they go into the mother's womb again and come out again a second time? It doesn't make sense. And Jesus engages in dialogue. Even with the thief on the cross. When one of the thieves is slagging Jesus off and the other says, no, no, no. You know, we're guilty. We deserve what we're getting. This man doesn't. Oh, can you remember me when you enter your kingdom and paradise? And, and Jesus, even on the cross, engages in, in dialogue. And this is what our God is like. The Lord would rather engage in dialogue with you and me uh, and reason together with us in order for us to go the way that he would like us to go. That's just the way. But he's unyielding. He's uncompromising in his righteousness. He's uncompromising in his truth. He is uncompromising amazingly in his mercy. And we see it here. That God has profound mercy on Jonah. He could have said, Jonah, I've had enough. 
I've had enough of your sulky behavior. I've had enough of your self-pity. I've had enough of your stupid anger. I've sent you on a mission. You never learned anything when you came out of that fish. I delivered you from that. I've had enough. Fed up with you. But he doesn't. He has mercy. Why? Because that's who he is. He is merciful. And God is merciful to the Ninevites as well. Have you any right to be angry? He reasons with Jonah. Through all the angst and anger that Jonah expresses, wow, God is with him. Through all the angst and anger and disappointment that you may experience in your life and the, the, sometimes the criticism of God, implicit if not explicit, God is with you in it. Through all our questions, he is with you in it. And he is, to my mind, and he's like that parent who sits on the steps and puts his arm around us. And says, come, let's reason together. Let's work things out. See, Jonah wanted God's mercy to be exclusive. But God wanted his mercy to be inclusive. Isaiah says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And God says to Jonah, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned? For that great city. And Jesus also said something similar from the cross where he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. You know, we could say that about our own nation too, couldn't we? Some of the laws that we have seen, some of the scientific experiments that we do on unborn children, it's criminal. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So God is merciful here. God is merciful. His reaction to Jonah's angst, Jonah's anger, Jonah's questioning, Jonah's rebellion, Jonah's stubbornness, Jonah's refusal to listen. God is incredibly, amazingly gracious and merciful. And merciful and gracious at the same time to the 120,000 people and even the cattle in the city of Nineveh. This is our God. What about our reaction? Well, Jonah, he has an us and them mentality. The Ninevites, in his opinion, they don't deserve mercy. Actually, he's right. They don't. They don't deserve mercy. Does that sound familiar? Do we deserve mercy? No one deserves or earns God's mercy. Mercy, by its very name, means it's not earned or deserved. It's interesting as well, in our country at the moment, immigration is a huge issue. It's a major issue. Shall we stay in the European Union? Shall we leave the European Union? And immigration is a key element in people's conversation regarding that. How should we view so-called outsiders? I mean, in this year as well, even tonight, there's been huge concern about the lack of black people nominated for Academy Awards. In fact, I don't think there's been any, as far as I'm aware, that have been nominated for Academy Awards at the ceremony. I think it's tonight. See, prejudice is alive and kicking. And I guess, if you're like me, we all, regardless of whether we're black or white, or whatever we are, wherever we come from, I guess we all have some kind of prejudice in one form or another. I know I do. I know I, there are times when the serpent, the ugly, 
serpent of prejudice rises its, raises its head from time to time in my life. And I have to strangle it. I have to chop its head off. Because I don't want it having any place in my life. And some of my prejudices, I'm going to tell you now. <laughs> it's too embarrassing. If you want to ask me privately afterwards, I might tell you. Um, but they're just stupid. They're, they're, they're daft. They're, they're, they're irrational. And prejudice can be like that. The thing about prejudice is this. If you're prejudiced, you think that you're better than the other person or group, whatever it might be, or race. or That's, that's it, it in a nutshell, I think. To be prejudiced means that we then look down on others. Somehow, we are superior to them. It's stupid, really, when you think about it, especially as God's people. Um, why should we... <laughs> Of all people, be looking down on anybody else. We should have, as God's people, the greatest revelation of who we are. Of what our essential nature is like. We, as God's people, should have the greatest revelation of what it's taken for us to be translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We of all people should understand the cost of what is meant to bring us out of the darkness of our ignorance into his marvelous light. What has it taken to do that? It's taken the very sacrifice of the Son of God himself, the sinless one, the perfect one, the glorious one, the holy one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who has enjoyed immaculate fellowship from before time began with the Father and the Holy Spirit, which we can never, ever grasp. And he comes and he takes, he becomes that man and walks planet earth with dust on his feet and sweat on his brow and suffers that indignifying and barbaric death on the cross. It's taken that. So who am I to have any prejudice in my life? Jonah wants God's mercy to be exclusive. We don't want that. We God's, want God's mercy to be inclusive. And as we go to two sites, it's a very exciting prospect. Who is the Lord going to bring into our path? Who is the Lord going to bring into the town center site? I think it's very exciting. I mean, I know we have people from different tribes and nations and tongues and, and, and international background. That's very exciting. And God is bringing people who are, you know, they're not just, you know, who we would normally perhaps See as part of our own social group. Well, I think that's very exciting. I think that's great. I think there's a challenge there as well. And when the ugly serpent of prejudice rises its head, if, if it should ever do in your life, then my suggestion is you strangle it before it gets any bigger. You cut its head off and you realize actually what it's taken in order for you to come into the kingdom. You to be born again. You to become the person that God wants you to be. You to have the future that God has planned for you. You to have the destiny that God has planned for you. Isn't it incredible to think that we were taken, if you like, from the ash heap, from the dung heap of sin. Literally. Well, not literally, but metaphorically. From the dung heap of sin, God has taken us from that. And he has placed us with his beloved son in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? And Jonah was called to bring that similar message to the people of Nineveh. And he was angry about it and he didn't want to do it. God is calling us here in High Wycombe and beyond to say, I want you to reach out to others regardless of their race, regardless of their social background, regardless of their academic ability, regardless of whether they 
you perceive them to fit into your social group or not. I want you to reach out to them so that they too may share in something of the glory and the splendor of my kingdom. Because my house is going to be a house of prayer for all nations, all peoples, different social stratas. Isn't that exciting? And us here in High Wycombe, we've got our part to play in it. It's very exciting. You know, as I finish now, Neil and I were talking the other week about Jonah. And when, where I grew up, I grew up in northeast Scotland, in Aberdeen, which is by the coast. And when I grew up, the main industry was fishing. So, for example, my grandfather went out fishing into the North Sea. You know, come rain, come shine, come winter, come summer, around Iceland and all that kind of stuff. So, again, we were talking about one of the things that uh, we used to do when I was a child and my family did, we used to listen to the shipping forecast. I know it probably sounds very boring to most people, but in those days it was listened to quite attentively because somebody, you knew someone who was out there somewhere fishing, so you were interested in what the weather forecast was and this kind of thing. But the point of all that was this, that um, there was an expression that used to get used I don't know whether it got used down in High Wycombe, because High, High Wycombe is probably about as landlocked as you can get, I think, in, in, uh, in England. But anyway, up where I lived, there used to be an expression, you don't hear it so much, where someone could be described as a Jonah. Did that, did that get used in England as well? Yeah. So-and-so was a Jonah. A Jonah. And uh, I grew up uh, hearing that expression. And what it meant was this. If someone was described as a Jonah, it meant there was something about them that things were going to go wrong if they were around. There was going to be some bad luck. There was going to be some bad event that happened if you described that person. Oh, so-and-so is a Jonah. So it was a disparaging remark to make. You know, let's not be those Jonas in High Wycombe and the surrounding environment. There's no reason why we should be because God has called us to be a blessing. You see, we are in the family of Abraham. You know, and God said to Abraham, I'm going to make your blessing. I'm going to make your blessing throughout the whole earth. Not only that, I'm going to make your descendants a blessing throughout the whole earth. And we are the descendants of Abraham because we are the family of faith. Amen? So God has called us, called you and me, in our small corner, whether it's in High Wycombe, whether it's in Hazemir, or Roundabout, or wherever it might be, to be a blessing to others. Amen? And by the power of the Spirit, yes, you can express your anger to God. You can express your disappointment to Him. But don't isolate yourself from the body of Christ. That's a very dangerous place to be because the devil is like a roaring lion and he prowls around looking for someone to devour. And just as in the natural environment, the lions look for the ones that are straying and they nab them because they know that they're unsafe. We don't want to be like that. We want to be Jonas. We want to be those who bring blessing to others. When the chips are down in life, when the rail that we are on seems to be bumpy, it seems as if the, the train's going to come off the rails, remember this, actually, that God loves you, come what may. He is your heavenly Father. He has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. There's nothing that you can go through in this life where I will leave you. There is nothing, in fact, that can ever, ever separate you from my love. Sometimes you may feel as if you're clinging onto me by your fingertips, but I want to tell you this, I am holding on to you, and I'm never going to let go. So we can be assured of this, that God loves us, whether the circumstances are as smooth as anything, or whether the difficult circumstances of life, we are loved by Him. Amen? Let's uh, ask the Lord just to burn the truth of His love. He's our Heavenly Father into our hearts 
I don't know what you're going to face this week. I hope it's going to be great things. I hope it's going to be lovely things. I hope it's going to be good news. I hope your prayers are going to be answered. I really do. But maybe there may be one or two things we have to overcome. One or two difficulties we have to face. And I'm going to pray that we will know that we don't walk through these things alone. I know we know it in our heads, but just to really know it in our hearts. Father, can I just ask you just to reach out your hands as a sign that you're with me in this. If not, it's not a problem. Father, when the disciples said to you, what should we pray? The two first two words you said were, our Father. Our Father. And boy, you've brought us from the ash heap, Jesus. How lovely you are. You have clothed us with your righteousness. Wow. And you did it because you loved us. We want to say thank you, first of all, for what you've done for us. And we want to say thank you, Jesus, for you being with us and your promise never to leave us. Thank you so much, Jesus. And as we face this coming week, whatever it is we may face, we pray in Jesus' name that we will know assuredly, Lord, that your love is still upon us. I ask, Father, that we will know something of your divine presence with us this week. I pray, Father, that you will help us not to be Jonas, but I pray in the name of Jesus that you will help us to be those children of Abraham who bring blessing to those that we meet. Father, will you help us? You know that we're weak. You know that we are but dust. And we falter and we stumble and we say wrong things and we think wrong things and we do all sorts of daft stuff. But nevertheless, Jesus, we, in the, in the depth of our heart, we want to walk with you. We want to walk with you, Jesus. Thank you that you want to reason with us. You're amazing. You really are. We just thank you that you're like that, Jesus. Bless every single person and every single family that is represented here today. And I pray for that. We pray for that in Jesus' precious name. Amen.